Got into a Bible study, checked into a Bible study. I feel like it's more of the proper term, checked into one, because I, I needed for rehabilitation, I guess. Um, so I checked into one and uh, could, you know, you know, get my life going in the right direction, start learning some things, and just some things I had never heard, never seen, didn't grow up with it. And eventually, um, in fact, right after Derek was born, I got saved when I was 21. And I finally, finally got saved. I'd been in that Bible study for three years. And so I started getting involved. It took about two years, and I'm teaching a Bible study. And and uh, that went on for a little while. And then I was kind of really going strong and then kind of relaxed off for a while, a couple years, and then got back into it. It took off really, really strong this time and started going and very involved in things. But, you know, it seemed like something was missing. Um, I never could put my finger on it. I just would study the Bible, and I just... There was something missing, and, and what it seemed to be, as I look back now, but what it seemed to be, you guys have been around the block a number of times and such, and you read your Bible, and there's this God that is so magnificent, it's not even like the Bible can explain him. I mean, he's so gigantic, he's so monstrous, he's huge. You know, he, he tells David, David, the earth, I put my foot on the earth if I want to. You know, it's, it's just, he is enormous, but he's not just enormous. The being that he is is so far above anything and everything we run into in life. And, and when I read my Bible and see that and I learn that and I, I get into that and start noticing stuff like that, and then I would then look at me and go, wow, I'm not seeing you know, a connection here of to the degree that I should be when I see God. When I see all that he is and start seeing that and then I see me and it just like never could match that up. What am I missing? What, what's missing out of my life? And, and I was a Christian and I was serving God, doing all kinds of things, but it just, when I read my Bible, it just seemed like I should be given so much more to God and, 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 and serving him and things. And so that was, that went on for a long time, um, just a long time uh, with myself. And then... And one day, out of clear blue sky, wasn't looking for it, just teaching Bible studies like I'd been doing for years and years. And I ran upon a, upon a verse that, golly, I'd memorized this verse um, years before. Meditated on it, spent a lot of time with it. And, um, and I just, just saw this, and it, was, and it was almost like I was reborn again from that, from that verse. It kind of took me in a new path of discovery about God that I had never seen before. Yes, I was a Christian, but I got to I got to study God in a sense where I got to relate to God in a way I had never dreamed of before and saw things. And it and it kind of paralleled something that was going on. How many of you guys have ever read the book Les Mis? Les Miserables. Read that? Yes. Seen the movie? My all-time favorite book next to the Bible. It's just got some, so many great stories in it. But there's, there's one in there as, as it begins, and, and this, it's about a guy, if you have not, it's about a guy, Jean Valjean, who's, I think he's about 20 years old, 19 or something, 18, and his sister, it's, it's in the time of France and Paris, and, and, and there was the rich hierarchy, and they had everything, and everybody else had nothing, and so they were broke, they were starving, the kids were, and she, she was didn't know what to do, that you know couldn't get work or anything like that, so he goes down, finds a house, and... and breaks the window and steals some bread that was sitting there in the window and brings it back to feed them. And he gets arrested and they throw him in jail for something like five years and then he tries to escape 
and then gets another 19, ends up 19 years in jail over all that started with a, stealing a loaf of bread and breaking a pane of glass. And so he finally gets released and he, and he goes off and, and, and this, this, he runs into this man called the Bishop. He is a bishop. And um, Victor Hugo, who's writing this story, the, the Bishop is probably one of the closest characters to acting like Christ of anything I've ever seen in literature. I mean, it's, it's amazing what, what, how he wrote about him. It's beautiful. And so he, he has a, he's part of the Catholic Church, his bishop, this whole church, little thing. But he has all these gold or silver chalices and things around, lamp, light, light lamp or candle stands and a lot around in his little place. And Jean Valjean, you know, he's just still kind of really upset and angry at life. Angry at the situation, angry that he was in prison, angry, he's just angry at everything. And so he, he, he decides, oh, I can't stay here. <laughs> These people are too pious, you know, he's, he's not my kind of people. So he leaves and he decides to go ahead and steal the silver that's there and get it and then use it. He had, he had not been a criminal before, but now he is. Now he's going to do this. So he takes him, he doesn't get too far, and the police get him. And the police grab him and they take him back. They recognize it came came from the bishop's place. They take him back to the bishop. And the bishop goes, Oh, John, 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 come on, come on, look at You left too early. You left too fast. You forgot the other silver I gave you. And he brings out the most expensive silver that Jean Valjean didn't take. And, and he gives it to him. He goes, no, no, I gave it to him. It's not a problem here. But he forgot this. Take this. This is what you really need. This is the best. And, of course, now, John Valjean has been in 19 years in a prison that was just horrible. And the whole situation was bad. And, and all of a sudden, he's confronted with this, what, what's going on here. And when the police leave, the bishop gets him and says, I have purchased your soul for God with this. You keep the silver, but I've purchased your soul for God. You now do something with your life. Totally changed, blows him away. He doesn't know how to respond to it. And so the emotion is going out. Well, in the play, they wrote, it, it's called um, Valjean's Soliloquy. And I want to play it. I want you to have the words to it because it really does speak a lot of, as it ends here, pass some of these around back there of, of what's going on here in the story that I want to share with you and what's happening here is so anyway beautiful story it, it really is a story of redemption of this man and and then he does turn his life into something beautiful and, and uh, it's just it's an incredibly great story but it parallels you know, the bishop being Christ and what he does for us. Just just how he gives us freedom, how he gives us new life. And, and I often think that, um, I don't think I'm unusual in this regard, that when I look at life and I look at everything around me, sometimes, you know, when I was young, it just didn't look like a whole lot. It didn't look like much. It didn't, I didn't see things that gave me purpose. I, I didn't see things. I had a purpose when I was young. And when that didn't work out, I had no purpose, you know? So I just existed in life. I mean, I went through, and to me, it's like how most people live life, it seems. So you just kind of go along and you do things, you find a job, you get married, you have kids, and you're just kind of moving along and you're in a flow of things that pretty much describes how most people live. And um, 
And I, and I never saw a purpose, a, a strength of purpose, like I saw when I read my Bible. I just didn't see that in me, and it was hard to find that around me. So um, this, I love this story because it seems, I, I can sense it. I can see the pathos in here of his cry out and things. I've cried those many old same things out with God many times and just saw it and felt it. And, and, um, and then that one day, God just, just like this, um, something happened. And um, open your Bibles, if you would, to... In 2 Corinthians, for example, 5, 17. You can quote it before you even get it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Joanna, I don't know. I can't. Yeah, as soon as we started, you will. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I kind of looked at it a little bit. Okay. I kind of did everything wrong. But she didn't the need it. Of course, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. The old has passed away; new has come. And in that last line of this song, another story must begin. That's God's redemptive story. And if you wonder how much that is true, I wasn't ever sure until I ran into Matthew sixteen twenty-four. Look at Matthew sixteen twenty-four. Matthew 16. That was second five seconds. I can't do this Second Corinthians 16, 24. Wait, no. Matthew. Uh, uh, I'm trying to see if anybody's not. See, I even confused him. All right. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself. I don't know if you know what that word is, what that means. Deny yourself. It virtually is just exactly what Jean Valjean is talking about. Another story must begin, not me. I have to be a new person. Totally, completely new. The word deny means you are literally cutting off the old person. You're denying. That, that, that is cut off, and that person no longer exists. But I remember reading that, and I went, wow, wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not seeing that in me, and you know, I'm still the struggling man, I, but just a little, you know, a little more struggling than what I used to be. But I'm working in a, you know, a new, new territory, new things, but I wasn't a new man like that. And you compare that with 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it's like, that's, that wasn't me. Um, man, and it's, it's quite shocking when you when you see what he said, but that's the redemptive story. And, and this, another story must begin. And I have to say, for me, in all my lifetime, of, you know, of all the years from 21 on to being a Christian, being a Christian and being very involved and serving God and doing things, I, that other story never came about. Until I was, uh, what was like 49, 48? 48, I think it was, something like that. It's been almost 20 years. I'm 68, so roughly around then. And I'm reading through, look over at Matthew now 25. And I'm, and I'm reading this verse, and I'm teaching them Bible study. And, um, and I saw this verse, and it shocked me. It, it, there's things in here that just shocked me. So I'm going to hold on to that. Just hold your place there, and I'm going to pass out some more. 
In Matthew 25, 34, I, I come upon this verse one day and I'm reading it. Let's look at that. And, and uh, uh, then the king, Jesus is speaking here. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, and here the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, we we got to get set up a little setting here for a moment. Okay, I'll, let's get everybody to stand up for a minute. <laughs> and I, and I, I do this on purpose so you won't fall asleep on me. Okay, let's let's set this up. And let, how many people do we have here? Let's, let's count them. One. <laughs> yeah, I have two. How many we got? 21 plus Esther, I think. Is that 22? <laughs> no, 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 like she only has 20 plus Esther. 22. Okay, out of 22, 22. people, what's a puny number of 22? Like One. Two. Two. Okay. Two, Mary and Derek get that. Okay, you're, you're right here on this side. What? The rest of you, I want you to move down here. Okay, I want you to move down here. Okay, so you're standing all down here. It became two and a half. <laughs> okay. okay. So that's a puny no, number. <laughs> okay. So now the first says, then the king will say to those on his right. Then we write this down. Then the king will say to those on his right. Now, then the king. Then let's keep it right there. Then. When is the then? Everybody tell me when the then is? I, I didn't memorize it. Is it? The first word. <laughs> <laughs> when, when is the then? First. It's... Yeah. When is it? Are you oh, mean, you mean like when in, in the kingdom? Like time? In the future. In time, yeah. Okay, it's in the future. Uh, Final judgment. Know that. Yeah. When is it in the future? About like 200, 236 years. What does the final judge <laughs> When Jesus is standing there, you read the verses above it. It's in the it's in the judgment. And he says he's got these on his right. He divides them up. He's got these these sheep on the right and he's got these goats on the left. Sorry guys, we got ended up on the left. <laughs> so we've got right and left. Okay? When, when, it's interesting when Jesus is talking to Matthew 7 and he says the road is narrowed going to the kingdom. The word narrow, it's, it's, there are few that find it. The word few means puny. 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 Yeah. Oh, she's, oh, she's trying to cut in like <laughs> that. Wow. Hey, Grampy, she's, she's forcing her way in. She's forcing her way in here. Almost, almost. Stay with the sheep. <laughs> but isn't that interesting? That, that word is puny. How many is that? That actually are going to make their way to that kingdom. Puny. I, mean, I think of, I think of you know, it's a few. That's got to be a you know, big number, but puny? That doesn't leave you room for a big number, does it? That's scary. To, to be in all honesty, that is scary when he says that. It's a puny, puny, puny number who find it. Those on his left don't. Those on his right do. Okay, you can sit back down there now. Um, what, what are you thinking if you're on the side and you're looking at the few people on the right side? There'll be a I lot of people there. Yeah. What do you think, Josh? Over here. Oh, man, what am I doing over here? Yeah. <laughs> 
thought I was a sheep. Foghorn Ghost. What am I doing on this side of the fence? P-U-N-Y. So he says here that the win of the then is, this is judgment when he says this. And he's going to say to those on his right. Now, this is what we want to catch here. Who is it that's on his right? Those who are blessed. He calls them sheep. Okay. And it's those who are blessed. Okay, let's, let's check that out then. Now, this is pretty essential, <laughs> is that we understand what that word means. Because what, what does this follow up with? You are blessed and here is the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. So then, hadn't we better be able to know what the word blessed means here? really better know what that word is because at that point in time of judgment when he's standing there and he's going to separate he separated them out and he says okay you on the right you are blessed of my father i want to be one of those i would think you would want to be now then who what's the word blessed mean how many of you been to a funeral been to a funeral most everybody has been to at least one in their life mm -hmm. What happens at a funeral? They all get there and we said one person goes up and starts talking about this person who died. By the time he gets done, that person may be the holiest person on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> yeah. I've been guilty of doing that myself, you know. Um, that's called a eulogy. And it means you're speaking really well of that person. She took you. Nobody goes to a funeral and they do a eulogy and give you all the lowdown on that person. <laughs> I'd like to see that one time in my life, go to one and just let it fly. Well, this is who the creep we'll was. Would you do it for me? That'd be fine. I, I don't have to live with anything after that. So I'm out of here. Um, but when you think about that, that you're there and all of a sudden they just do nothing but tell how good this person is. That's called a eulogy. That is, this word here is that word. That's the word we get our word eulogy from in Greek. So, now who is it that's going to the kingdom? How do you spell eulogy? That's exactly right, by the Father. By the Father, that's exactly right. It's those whom the Father of the King, who is Christ, speak like that about. Speak that well about. That's who's going. That's amazing. Now, just that one, if we never knew anything more, <laughs> if I never knew anything more about the Bible, anything more about God's plan, anything more about salvation, anything about anything else, that would be enough to give me purpose in my life. To give me a purpose that I don't want to alter. <laughs> That's going to change it because I want him to speak well. Otherwise, I'm not on that right side. I'm on the left side with the majority of people. So that's really important, that what he says there, that I want God to speak well of me. So it doesn't matter anything else, whatever else, okay? Right now at this point in time, what is he using to, as his criteria for who's on the right and who's on the left? What is it? Blessed. The people he thinks are very special. So now... <clears throat> We're going to find out who those people are. What it is that, that makes God so happy and makes God like them so much. 
Let's keep going here with this thing. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious because there's only, this is a fascinating, there's only two types of people in this world, according to God. There's only two types. Race has nothing to do with this. Wealth has nothing to do with this. Poverty has nothing to do with it. Um, nothing has anything to do with it other than God thinks you're special. That's it. So if you don't, if you're not interested in that, hmm, no, we'll find out. Is that something God's going to think is special? So I'm going to hold the question as we go along. Clint Eastwood said there was two types of people. What's that? Clint Eastwood said there was two types of people too. <laughs> His doesn't count. <laughs> Um, those, those with guns and those who dig. Those are. Get down to that level, but that's putting a real feet to the ground. Those are guns and those who dig. I thought Caleb would have understood the sheep and the goats part already, since you guys have already had goats over there, and they annoyed the heck out of everybody, and you got rid of them, and you got sheep instead. That's right. Everybody knows Hannah here. It's the closest I've ever seen Hannah come to literally losing it and swearing up a blue strip like a streak like a sailor. I've never seen anything like that in my life. All she did was go put the put the goats away. She just went put the goats away. They didn't like it. Oh, they didn't like it. They didn't like her doing it. They were they, you, they knocked her over. Pounds. Oh my gosh. He, he ran me so hard, I was on the ground and Marley had to come save me. <laughs> stupid one goat, right? And, and he, she got down here though, and it was just, a, I'm still, I wish I could have recorded it. I have it in my mind. I wish I could share it with you. But it was just hilarious. Her screaming still at this goat. And what she said was, No, I know why the goats are going to hell! They deserve to go to hell! I mean, it was so funny. Oh my gosh. She, she was just letting it fly. And we did learn that though. There's a difference between goats. That was a PG bird. They are two different animals, <laughs> and God created them both as an illustration. And it's kind of funny because I think the goats are smarter. The goats, I think, are smarter, <laughs> but they are much more rebellious. <laughs> they are so much <laughs> worse. I'm doing it my way. I don't care what you say. I'm doing it my way. And that's pretty much the goat. So, some of you who are blessed with my father. Put that in there. And then here's the big. What's the next thing right there that we go to? Inherit the kingdom. Let's just stop right there. This is what got me. If I was to sit down and take all of you, 22 of you, go get 100 Christians and ask you, where are you going? Heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I don't know if anybody would say I'm going to the kingdom. Most of us only focus on heaven. You know what makes heaven so beautiful? It's the kingdom. That's what makes heaven so special. There's three heavens that are listed in the Bible. One's ours, right above us here. Air and planets around us and all that. That's one heaven. The second one is in between. We don't really know where that's at. God hasn't defined it too well to us, but it, you know, it could be a universe or beyond. I don't know. But the third heaven is where God goes. That's the third, that's a heaven. And what makes heaven so special is God and his kingdom. Why do, why do I say kingdom? Because this word kingdom, right here, it means, what this means in the Greek? It's a king, the 
kingly rule. Okay, that's all it means in Greek. Basileo just means kingly rule. That's it. That's all it means in, in terms of the Greek. But now, just knowing that, that's all. We just know that. They're going to inherit the kingly rule. See, I can understand that makes, that's what makes heaven so good, the kingly rule. But that's what I'm going to inherit. Have we got a problem with that? How does that work? How am I inheriting this kingdom? I, I, that, that's really kind of odd, isn't it? And so typically then the kingdom gets put on this theological bookshelf. You set it up there and it's a word we know. You know, most everybody knows the word kingdom. But the difference, we don't know, we don't have, it doesn't have any substance. What does that word actually mean? And you know who has defined it so well for us? I thought you were raising your hand real quick. I thought you were jumping all over that. I got it. <laughs> well, I know the, the, the word either has to be God or Jesus because then I get 50%. Oh, man. <laughs> um, actually, what defines it is God. It's called inspiration. He defines it through the Bible. He talks all about it. So I've been on this journey with the kingdom now so many years that I finally put together here I don't know, not that long ago really before I finally wrote it out or put it down and where you, you could just have something that the Bible says and hang your hat on and what it is and so I'll give you a paper on that okay and then we'll continue on this is the definition of the kingdom and, I, and this is a definition that I pulled out of the Bible because the Greek definition of the kingdom is only the kingly rule it's his rule the king's rule and in terms of the kingdom that is God's, it's God's rule then. But there's so much more to this kingdom rule than just that. A people, kingdom is a people, willingly surrendered to the reign of God. See, there's the rule of God. Willingly surrendered to that, that rule, that reign. And actively participate in an intimate partnership now I bring that definition out this week. I'm going to probably, probably next week, I'm going to break this all down and go through the Bible and show it to you. Okay, we'll go all through it and see this definition throughout the Bible. And that way, when you're reading your Bible, you're going to know what he's talking about. He's talking about the kingdom. You'll see it all in so many times in the Bible. It shows up everywhere, all over the place, because finally, you know, you can look at it and go, "Oh, that's what he's doing with the kingdom. That is the kingdom." And now that'll have some meaning to you, other than a word hung on a theological shelf and doesn't do anything. We'll explore that greater, maybe next week or the week after, which then I'll probably get today. But um, how long you guys got? Got a couple hours? <laughs> yep. well, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> We're not sitting in a second-story window like uh, Paul's. <laughs> I always like that because it isn't just I that put people to sleep. I'm just me. I'll do too. I fell right out and died. Yeah. <laughs> So, a people willingly surrendered to the rule of God and actively participate in the intimate That is a biblical concept of the kingdom. Now, look at this again. What are we inheriting? The kingdom. Kingdom. What are we inheriting? <laughs> Of people willingly surrender to the reign of God and actively participating in an intimate partnership with Him. That's good, except I don't want those people. I always want the relationship. <laughs> but no, we're inheriting an absolutely divine relationship with God. 
That's what the key is all about. That's the whole concept of the kingdom from Genesis to Revelation is about that relationship of the kingdom rule, the, the king's rule. But you think about it, you can't have a kingdom. You're as a king, you can't have rule without people. And so that's what shows up in the Bible. He's come to get a kingdom, build it out of people. Us. So now when we think of who's blessed, who are the blessed? Who are the people blessed? Read read that again now. What is what is the definition? Um, of the kingdom? Want somebody to willingly stand? surrendered. <laughs> the people willingly surrendered. Guess what willingly surrender does to God when we do that? Make us happy. Makes us makes God happy. He goes, all right. All right, I can work with that person. I speak well of that person. And what else though? What else is the definition? They partner with him in that relationship. That's right. Who actively participate in this relational partnership with him. That's absolutely fundamental to it. And that's... It gets us in. You want to see how that works just real quick? I'll show you this. It's really quite amazing how this works. Look over here in, here in Matthew. Go over to Matthew... Well, I'll tell you what. Let's do a little... I'll, I'll give you a little heads up before. Go to John. Are you sure you don't want us to go to Genesis first? <laughs> John 17. Hold your hand there. Oh, hold your page there, Derek. And then go over to John chapter 3. When you read the Bible, do you ask questions of God? When you're reading the Bible? Do you do that? I mean, I, I do it. I don't know. All right. All right. What in the world is that? I'm not, I don't understand that. What, what does that mean? I, I need you to open my eyes up because I'm not seeing that. What does it say? Why did you, you say it that way? What is it? And, and I'll just ask him because, you know, he's never let me down. He'll teach me. Now, sometimes it's taken six months for me to learn something I've asked I don't think it's God's fault. I think he's a pretty good communicator. I think it has a whole lot to do with my ignorance. But he'll break through. He'll break through and get, get through this thick head of mine and, and teach me. Well, look at John chapter 3. I know you know the first, but I don't think you know it like I think I know. the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What do you get from God? For believing eternal life. What does that mean? I mean, I'm going to live forever. That means you're going to get. Oh, it's John you know. 17. You're going to. I grew up thinking that. That's I grew up thinking that. Okay, that means I never die. Well, wait a All the Christians I know are dying. <laughs> What's going on here? Wait a minute. Puzzle. Obviously, I don't know what this means. <laughs> I I couldn't quite grasp that. So look at this. As Hannah said, go over to John chapter 17. I'd love it when God you know, just explains something to us and tells us. Just point blank tells us. So what is it that, that there you get? Look at John 17, 3. Jesus says, this is eternal life. All right, all right. There's a good starting point to defining eternal life. Jesus says, this is eternal life. And how does he define it? That they may know you. Who's he talking about? He's talking to his father, the only true God. But not just God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. 
That's what Jesus says is eternal life. You know what the word no is? Now, I got all this group of people around me, some of my favorite people all over the place, right? And, and you know what relationship we have? In the Greek, it's called koine, koine, fellowship. We have that kind of relationship, koine fellowship, koinonia fellowship, you hear it? We have that kind of fellowship between us. But with this little lady over here, I have a whole different relationship. You know what it is? It's gnosko. It's, no, I'm not going. Gnosko. I went right over here. Everybody is not married. What that is, this is a marital partnership. That word is the Jewish axiom in the, in the Greek. It's used for the marital relationship. And in the Hebrew and the Old Testament, same thing. It's used for the marital relationship. So, you see, this relationship is different than this relationship. It's this marital relationship. And what is the difference in a marital relationship? The primary difference? It's a partnership. Where we're signing up, 50-50 here, we're signing up to be together to accomplish our, the purposes that we want to do, that we set up. That's, that's what marriage is all about. Well, now let's just take that over and plug this into what eternal life is. So now, what is eternal life? Jesus, Jesus says that I, they may know you, but they may have that kind of a relational partnership with you and with me. Now that's how Jesus defines eternal life. That's quite interesting. Watch this. Back over to Matthew 7. Go back over there. Matthew 7. Look at verse 23. Here's a group of people that are on his left side. Okay, they're on his left. They're ghosts. But these are not hellions. These are not killers. These are not murderers. These are not people who have just run rampant with their life. You know, these, these people here are people who have healed people. People who speak for God. People who... I mean, this is pretty pretty strong language he says they call him Lord look at 21 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord is going to enter my kingdom wow look at down here verse 22 here's why they won't all the people on the left side and then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness the word new the same word as in, in John 17 3 in Oscar, the same word. He says, I didn't have that relational partnership with you, like a marriage. I didn't have it, so you're not getting into my kingdom. That's what he's saying again at then. That's a judgment. So see how this this blessed, this what speaks what he speaks well of when he tells somebody? Somebody he has this marital relationship with. That's actively participating in it in that relationship. Because you don't have a marriage when only one is a baby. That's not a marriage. A marriage is when two people join together for a singular purpose, to accomplish a purpose together. Well now, when if we're going to do that, we're signing up for that, 
whose purpose are we trying to accomplish? Mine? Jesus told us back in Matthew 16, no, no, you're, that man of you is gone. That's dead. Another story's now begun. And now we're, we're, we're marrying into the family of God to then partner with him to fulfill his purposes. And, and now that, now when you start seeing that, that's quite amazing. Is that a handout? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, in, in, in that same Matthew 7 passage, it's not, not everyone who does, says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then it says, but the one who does the will of my Father. And, so, and what is the will of his Father? that relationship to him. Now go back to John 3, 16 for a minute. For God so loved the world. Wow, now that's starting to put a whole lot more meaning to that. He has been, he's dying to have that relationship with us. That's what he's dying for. That's what Christ has come to die for, to give us, have it restore that relationship back where we can have that kind of a marital partnership with him. That's the thing that he speaks so highly of, and then we inherit his kingdom, we get his kingdom. And one of my favorite verses about this is Luke 12, 32. Look over there at that. I, I love this. Can you tell, what makes God happy? What gives him great pleasure? Can you, can you think of that? I think of you, what gives you great pleasure? You know, you could come up with some things, you know, that you just love, that you could just think of. What is it that gives God great pleasure? pleasure. Look at them. 1232. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly. I mean, great pleasure. It gives him great pleasure. He gives you the kingdom. Because what is the kingdom? Can anybody tell me? What is the kingdom? People willingly surrendered to the reign of God uh, and actively participating participating in an intimate relationship. And that gives God great pleasure. That's what moves God. That's what turns Him to say, "Oh, these are my favorite people. These are my people." To surrender to Him and willingly participate in that active relationship. Now we're going to dissect that whole thing, you know, probably next week here, but. But, now, I want, I want to ask a question here as we're talking about this. And, and oh, we got one more, one more little thing I want to add on here. And this, is, this is another thing that is quite amazing before I go to the other. The last part of the verse, nobody called me out? <laughs> you guys, damn, there's still one more of that verse left. Participate in an intimate person. <laughs> <laughs> you got the wrong one. <laughs> That's not there's a verse, and it wasn't inspired. Prepared, <laughs> prepared for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Prepared. Prepared. What's prepared? Made ready. The kingdom. The kingdom. Uh, that's right. The, the kingdom we're going to prepare from when? The foundation. From the foundation of the world. I'm not going to answer this. I'm going to choose to answer it for me. That speaks volumes. What does that tell you? What jumps out at you when you see this? We're going to an old place. <laughs> <laughs> what does that tell you? That's just, it's like being old. 
<laughs> gonna run away. What what does that tell you? Told me how to plan And what is that plan? To do what? The kingdom. To give those he speaks well of the kingdom. That's really interesting. The earth isn't mentioned there. The earth was never mentioned. That that was never God's permanent place ever. Which is interesting, because that wasn't the case before Adam and Eve fell. It wasn't the earth wasn't the permanent place, the eternal place, when God created. This was set up. And you know something, he doesn't use the word create. He doesn't use the word create. He uses this word here, which is just lovely. It's beautiful. Now, some of you who've been in a number of classes with me should be able to remember. What does that word prepare to Make ready. To make you, ready. As you make ready a king, right? That's right. It was taken from the oriental custom. Oh, and that's what they took the word from. When the king was going to go somewhere, let's say I'm the king, I'm going, i got to go to Riverside. I'm going to go see my brother. I'm going to go I want to make sure I'm going to keep So what am I going to do? I'm going to take you okay, and send you ahead of me. And your job is to go take care of that road. So there is nothing on that road that's going to prevent me from getting where I want to go. That's what the word prepared me. <laughs> it's pretty hard, Grampy. The 91 stands between us. I know, man. That's really <laughs> I'm, I'm a, you're going to have to take some kind of crane with you. Some kind of, <laughs> um, prepared means. It's not created. That wasn't created. The kingly rule didn't need to be created. It was God. What needed to be prepared? <laughs> Take a look at the definition again. What needed to be prepared? The way there. The way there. For who? For us. For us. Those who are blessed. Those who are blessed. Those that are sheep. Those that are on the right side. Those that he speaks well of. Those who have an intimate relationship with him. And he prepared it to get so you could get to that place. And that was all set up. Now what's interesting, he did that at the beginning of the world. He prepared it and set all up. When was the concept of Christ brought in? After Adam and Eve's sin or before? Hmm? Before. How do you know that? He prepared it before the kingdom. Mm -hmm. He prepared it and he even says it in the Bible. How about the Lamb's Book of Life where the people who are those favored ones? There's a book with their names in it. When was that prepared? Before was even So now I want to ask you a question. You answer it. What's the Bible about? Okay. Did he say don't answer? No, he didn't answer. That prepared way to the kingdom. That way right there. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's that what the Bible is all about. Now I've done this before. I do it in one of the books I wrote, but I want to have you do it just to show you. I got my finger at Genesis chapter 12. So Genesis 1 to Genesis 12 takes up this much space, okay? Genesis 12 to John 21 takes up that much space in the Bible. Basically the same amount of time. Basically the same amount of time. And you know what is really fascinating? You see this? What happened here? 
is all that went wrong in the world. You know what this is? Laying out what was prepared from the foundation of the world. This is how he's going to fix all that and take us to the kingdom. That's what this is all about. Well, everything from the last part is how to, how to live in that kingdom world. You got it. And that's what the rest of that is. So how many years was it, the first part and the second part? A couple thousand, just a little over that. Yeah, roughly 21, right in there. That's quite interesting. To see it laid out like that. That's what went, went wrong in the world, and this is what God has done to prepare it to take us to the kingdom. This is all he's laying out. So now, let me ask you, which is more important to God? What's wrong? Or what have you done to fix it? Pretty obvious, isn't it? That's what's important to God, is what he's done to fix it. And that's all about taking us to the kingdom. That relationship is fundamental to God speaking well of us, having that relationship. We can, we can I don't know, I've, I've been through a number of years now and seen all kinds of different ways that we will say, you know, I'm saved, I'm saved, you're saved, I'm saved, you're saved, you're saved. You know, a dozen different ways. But God's very clearly defined it there. What is it that you know you're saved? What is it? If you have that intimate partnership with me. Now, no one could drug me and convince me that I don't have a relationship with Joanna. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do it. You could beat me senseless. <laughs> You're not going to ever make me not have that relationship with her. We celebrate our 50th then. We've had 50 years of marriage together, right? So I hope we got another 50. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I pay her to do that. <laughs> um, see, what is, this is what was so beautiful about discovering that verse, because what that verse did is it set me on a pathway of discovering the kingdom. You know that, that Matthew um, 7, 14 verse that we were looking at? Um, no, no, excuse me, Matthew 16, where Jesus said, well, there are few who find it. You know, um, the road is narrow. No, that's, that is 14, Matthew 7, 14. Uh, the road is narrow, and there are few who find it. Find. What an interesting word, you know. When I think of find, um, it, it's kind of like I lost something. You know, and I'm... And, oh, there it is. And, and, and Esther is the, the greatest example. She can have something in her hand, and all of a sudden it's not in her hand, and one minute later she'll see it. I found it! That's sitting right here. <laughs> but it left her hand and got down to there, so now she finds it. It's not that kind of finding. Okay, that's not what the word means. It's not that you've lost something. The word means you are seeking after it. You are looking for it. You, have, you are dedicated to finding it. You're doing everything you can. And that's really the strength of the word. Hmm. You're doing everything you can to find it. And what is it that we're, we're trying to find? The right pathway. That's what he's saying. You find that right pathway. And I can honestly say, is that a hand up? Or yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, it's, I was just thinking about that verse too, because the wide road, it doesn't say they find it. It's just they enter by it. It's mm-hmm. the road they're always on. Good you know? point. Mm-hmm. Whereas... 
Good Whereas, point, Josh. Yeah, exactly right. You're honest. <laughs> and, and, and how do you get off of that road? You well, find, find the other one. <laughs> you're fine. You're gonna have to. You gotta look for it. You, gotta, you know, you're you're doing everything you can to find that way. Is what he says. And that, that's who finds it. And that when I found Matthew twenty five thirty four, that was just God opened my eyes up to see something I'd memorized, meditated on, and was so stupidly blind to it I never saw it. But when I saw that the kingdom was established before the world was even began, and that's where he was taking us, and that's where we were going, it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here now. That didn't compute with my theology of the kingdom. I didn't even have that in, in there or anything. So it started making me seek for it, look for it, dig in and find it, and, until I could. I finally started to understand and see it. And I, and I have to say, but the purpose of my life today is greatly different than it was 40 years ago. Greatly different than it was 40 years ago. Now it's all about the kingdom. It's about continuing to learn, continuing to develop and understand what that is all about, how that fits my life, how I apply that to my life, how I live within that surrendered relationship and that intimate partnership. That's now the purpose of my life. How do I live in that? How do I exist in that? How do I dwell in that? And, and, and that's where I'm going in the future, because that's something that Caleb just referred to in the future, that what I inherit, inherit is that relationship in its perfection. And right now I live in it within a battle of my flesh and me. And live in it and go for it and seek it and want it and desire it. But see, all of that is what gives the Father great pleasure that I can I want it I want it, it it's, it's, nothing's going to stop me from getting it I just want to live in it and have it and do everything I can to explore it and enjoy it and fellowship in it and just I can't get enough of it and, and see that's that gave me a purpose that I never had in my Christianity before even though I was saved I just never had that purpose so strongly in my heart that that's when I get up in the morning, that's what I'm going to do today. And when I go to bed, I'm waking up in the morning, going to go do it again. You know, it's just that drive and that, I just have to say, that gave me a purpose. And that's why I really would enjoy sharing this with you because there's nothing in my life. I'm 68 now and I can tell you, and I've done a lot of things in my life, but there is nothing that is compared, not even close to finding out about the kingdom. And then setting that as my goal for my life or what I'm going to do with it. <clears throat> Nothing else even comes close to it. And so that's what I want to be able to share with you. Just explore that whole realm of what the last almost 20 years has been showing me and teaching me. And you know, just enjoying it and learning about it. And so that I hope you guys can jump into this and see it. And, and see it unlocked for you. And just have a, hey, what a, what a tremendous life it gives you when you see that. The kingdom is just remarkable, that relationship. So remarkable.